Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and welcome everyone to the Theology Mom Podcast. Happy Monday. Glad to have you here for this live teaching today. I am Krista Bontrager. I'm a Christian theologian and public apologist, and this is the channel where I offer teaching and theological commentary on social issues. I'm excited to bring you this really kind of very personal conversation today. I've entitled it The Sins and Struggles of My 20-Year Wilderness Period, and this discussion was prompted in part by a number of posts that I had seen in recent months on social media. I belong to a few apologetics groups on Facebook. Most of the members are women and um, kind of noticing a theme uh, in these groups of people commenting about their loneliness and feeling isolated in their interest in issues related to theology and, and apologetics, kind of describing difficulty in finding camaraderie in their friend groups, other people who are like-minded and interested in learning and talking about theology and apologetics and the deeper truths of the faith, but also noticing people who struggle, they long to develop their own platform. They want to raise awareness about these issues related to the Christian worldview, but they're struggling to get the word out. And so many of those themes resonate with me in my own journey. And this reading these posts, I often find myself wanting to comment, (laughs) struggling to put my thoughts and feelings into words. And so I've been working on putting something together. This isn't really a teaching per se, like I normally do. It was was more of a a sharing and a a little bit more of a conversation about my story. And I shared last month on the podcast about my thoughts and excitement about the field of apologetics growing in the last few years. So much more interest, particularly by women in apologetics and just more regular people wanting to be part of the apologetics conversation and what good I think can come from that. But when I listened to that podcast back, I realized, you know, I really didn't share anything about the struggles. And I kind of made it sound like it was just this sort of glorious upward trajectory when it really wasn't. Um, not by a long shot. And my own life to get to where I am now has been a maze of ups and downs, a lot of downs, a lot, <laughs> and twists and turns. So as I've been thinking about it, I thought, you know, I should really give a more realistic picture about my journey. Not to say that what I said before wasn't accurate. It was just a particular slice of my journey in apologetics. And to maybe share some of the struggles 
and the sins that I have had to, uh, how the Lord has had to work with me over the years. Because this journey to get to where I am right now of having a YouTube channel and a podcast and being able to travel and speak, this has not been a straight shot to glory, okay? This has been a long road, a rocky road at times. And so I wanted to share a little bit about that and hopefully it will help encourage you, inspire you if you're in a struggle uh, to persevere and and what endurance and, and a long obedience in the same direction as one author has put it, uh, what that might look like. All right, so story time. Uh, when I was a young woman, when I was 27, which is sort of frightening because my older daughter is now 24, She's approaching the age that I was when so many of these things started happening for me. Um, when I was 27, I was on a strong career trajectory. I kind of had a, a red carpet laid out for me. I could. I had been approached by my, one of my mentors, Dr. Walt Russell, and he kind of laid out a, a, a vision and a strategy for my life that I was going to be an important woman theologian. And I was going to be a pioneer. Uh, he was working with me on a, a getting into a doctoral program in theology and to really think about my career as a, as a female theologian. And keeping in mind some things I said last time on the stream that there, there weren't a lot of conservative women apologists and theologians out there 30 years ago. And he, he saw potential in me that maybe I could fill a need, that I could go get a doctorate in theology and become one of the first female theologians who's a conservative. Like, I believed in inerrancy. I believed in the historic Christian faith. I already had two graduate degrees under my belt. I had two MAs and one in theology and one in Bible exposition. And I was getting ready for more grad school. He hired me at the age of 27 to be an adjunct faculty at Biola University. And so the plan was teach a few years, get a little bit of teaching experience under my belt, go do my doctorate, and then come back to Biola, get rehired as an assistant professor, and get on a tenured track to becoming a full professor, and that I would just be set for the rest of my life until I retired, and I would probably still be teaching there today. That was the plan, and I was on that trajectory. And by the age of 29, just two and a half short years later, it all came to a grinding halt, and everything felt like it slipped away very, very quickly. Looking back on it now, as someone in my early 50s, I can tell you God had a better plan. But when I was 29, it did not feel like a better plan. And what lay in front of me was a 20-year-long and lonely road in ministry, or actually being on the sidelines of ministry, to put it more accurately. Uh, but looking back, this really was the better plan. I entered motherhood in 1999 and then again in 2003. And when I found out I was pregnant in 
uh, the fall of 1998, we were hours away from sending in our non-refundable housing deposits to move to Boston so that I could start a THM program back there that would eventually roll into a doctoral program. And so I was on in the doorway of starting the next phase of my graduate education. I had a couple of years of teaching under my belt. I knew I loved teaching. I knew I could I could see the plan, all right? And when I found out I was pregnant, literally hours before I was supposed to be sending in these non-refundable deposits, um, I was like, this was a, a trajectory in my life that I did not anticipate. Like, it, we just, we had kind of talked about having kids, but it wasn't a super serious conversation. And I felt this tension that I didn't think I could be a good mom and be on a career path for Christian higher ed because of the doctoral program and then the demands to move again back across the country to try to teach up Iola and the, the, the research and serving on committees and the teaching and all of that. I knew that being a, a, a present and available mother was, it was not going to be compatible with that kind of career trajectory. And so I felt like I was in a position where I had to make a choice, you know, and and so I had chosen higher ed. I, I that was the path I was going down. And so when when it came up that I was pregnant, it felt like okay, this path is now closed. Now I'm going down this path. And my life turned into something that I did not anticipate at all. I thought that when I left teaching in 1999, when I had our first child, I could always go back. That was sort of my attitude. I'm young. I have two graduate degrees. I can always go back to this. No, <laughs> I never went back. Uh, not really. And I couldn't go back. And I hit roadblock after roadblock. And as a young mom, I was completely overwhelmed. All I could think of was what happened to all my dreams. I was working very part-time at that time in apologetics at Reasons to Believe, but I wasn't using any of my, what I considered to be my true gift, which was teaching. I did a tiny bit of writing, an article here and there, but mostly what I did was administrative work. And so I wasn't doing the things that I really envisioned for my life, the things that I was really passionate about, which was teaching people theology. I, I wasn't doing that. And so my heart just felt crushed. I felt sad all the time. And I, and I wasn't doing the thing that I felt like God had created me to do. And then I watched from a distance, mostly my male seminary peers, people that I had gone to seminary with, progress in their careers. And some of them had been hired as theology faculty at Biola, and they were making their way through their careers. And 
here I was in obscurity, a mom, a young mom with two kids, and I felt like I was being left behind. And 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 I just was confused. I was angry. I was sad. It was a lot of emotions. And um, so, it, okay, let me go out in the chat. THM program, what is that? Is a master's in theology. It's a graduate degree that you get usually get after a master of divinity, but before it's not a doctoral level um, degree. So as I continued to journey through my 30s, it was very clear to me that there were no opportunities for me to teach at my local church. There was no interest in my background, my education, um, and even though I had the same level of education as many of the pastors in the churches where we were, they they just simply didn't want anything to do with me, and, and there was just really no opportunity. And so when we went and decided to finally settle in about the year 2000, 2001 at our former church where we were there for about 20 years, um, there was no interest, there was no opportunity yeah, for me to use anything in my education in my local church. And now I didn't push my way in either. I didn't ask for any opportunities. I didn't I didn't push the, the, the people leadership knew who I was. They knew um, about my education, but um, and and there was a longing in my heart to be used. I wanted to be used. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be appreciated. And um, but there was just there was no no opportunity and so i started falling into the sin of jealousy and resentment and when i would read the alumni newsletters that would come quarterly to my house from from talbot and biola i would struggle with these these horrible thoughts about my former seminary peers of you know like things like well, why don't I have the same opportunities that they do or I'm just as qualified why are there no opportunities for me in my church and these feelings of jealousy and resentment really became a struggle for me and I'm not even sure they were really a struggle I just sort of adopted them and that was the posture that that my heart was in and when I was in my 30s <laughs> And I could kind of laugh at myself now, but in all seriousness, when I was in my 30s, my my dream was to teach, try not to laugh. Okay, don't, don't laugh at me. This is real. This is me being very, very transparent. My dream was to teach theology to stadiums of women. I wanted to be kind of like on the Women of Faith tour and write best-selling Christian books that would open up people's minds and hearts to theology and and why I thought every Christian should should know theology and apologetics. This was the dream. Now, I think that God's mercy to me in that was that I was not on the Women Faith Tour because a lot of them are sort of progressive now. But um, yeah, I, I think that in my mind, that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to kind of be on that tour. And I remember going to the Women of Faith tour um, 
at one point uh, when it was here in, in town one year, a friend got tickets to it and took me as a gift. And I, oh man, this would be the greatest, you know, I could, I could speak and I just wanted to be seen and known and, and have a, a voice of influence. Okay. And meanwhile, in the real world, none of that was happening in, in my church life in my local church, there's a few people who kind of vaguely were aware that I had some kind of educational background in academia but it wasn't exactly a topic of conversation. I was trying to go to mom groups at my church. I, we were trying to join our sun, a Sunday school class. And making friends with other women was not easy. Like, I really struggled socially. And I struggled to make friends because I felt so different than everyone. I was asking different questions and I had all this education and I wanted to talk about apologetics and I was in mom groups with people who really couldn't care less. And 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 some of these people went on to become my dear friends. So this is not about them. This is about me and this, the state of mind that I was in and, and all of that at that time. And you know, many of my peers, they really didn't understand what I was about. And God bless one gal, uh, Jenny, who was really the first person who who at my church made a real effort to get to know me. And God bless her. Uh, she wasn't turned off by my sort of peculiar hobbies, as I used to call them, and interest in academia. Uh, she just invited me out to lunch and she invited me to, to do things. And, um, one time she invited, she remembered that I had mentioned once that I really enjoy, uh, going to Victorian tea places. And, um, so she invited me to go to this very fancy tea out at the Huntington Garden and, uh, Laura Hartley, who's on the stream today, uh, came came with us. I don't know if Laura even remembers that, but um, it was a very long time ago. And that was really one of the first times that Laura and I did something together. And it was me and Jenny and Laura and and God bless Jenny and, and just uh, being a friend to me when I really needed it because, man, I was socially awkward. And most of the women in my church probably thought it was a little odd. <laughs> and I just stopped really telling people about myself so that I would fit in because nobody was really interested in, in apologetics and theology. And to try to, you know, improve the quality of my life, I did start therapy and that's a whole other journey that I talked about on the Rooted and Edified podcast a while ago. So I'm not going to repeat all of that here, but at the same time, kind of parallel with my journey out of academia, I had a very real uh, struggle with mental health issues. And it was a dark and confusing season of my life. And um, I went through some things that uh, caused people in my place of employment to really want to distance themselves from me. So I felt more alienation in that area. And basically, I, I stopped all public speaking, all public writing for about five years through my employer. 
And during this time, my heart just became more and more postured and positioned into a place of jealousy and and resentment. And I just felt myself falling deeper and deeper into that. And I remember it was during that season that um, <laughs> I saw Natasha Crane's book, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side for the first time. And if you don't know Natasha's book, it's it's about, it's a book written to parents, but to help equip parents to be able to discuss apologetics issues with their kids. And the first time I saw this book, I had such a sinful reaction. I am such a sinner. It was just total jealousy about that because all I could think of was that Natasha, I don't even, I didn't even know who Natasha was at the time. Now she's my friend. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's humbling for me to just admit this out loud in, in public. But the first time I saw Natasha's book, my core reaction was that of jealousy. And Natasha had written the book that I wanted to write, that I had dreamed of writing. And all I could think of in my pride was I'm more qualified than Natasha to even write this book because I have more education and I have more experience and all this horrible, sinful thoughts. And like I said, Natasha and I are friends and Brian, her husband, um, is awesome. We've had him on our podcast and we minister at the Orange County Rescue Mission. I volunteered there now for four and a half years where Natasha, Natasha's husband is a COO. So like, hey, we cool. Like we're friends now. But back in the day, like eight to 10 years ago, when I first saw her book, I, I was a mess. I was a terrible sinner. And that's just was the heart posture of where I was. And about that time, also, my husband encouraged me to put up a YouTube channel. And I didn't really understand completely what YouTube was, but he was kind of explaining it to me. And he said, you know, you could record some, some videos and you could do your teaching on the videos and then you could put them up on YouTube. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting idea. And... So I started a Facebook page and I started my YouTube channel. And for I did that for 10 years, okay? And this is what I want people to understand is I had my Facebook page for 10 years. Most of that time I had about 100 to 300 followers. It took me 10 years to get 1,000 followers. And the same on my YouTube channel. It took me about 10 years. And... I had very few subscribers, um, but I just slowly kept posting videos and my husband would help me post them. And and some of them were really bad, <laughs> but I was learning. And um, I, I think I've removed safely all of those early videos, but it was good training ground for me. It was good practice. And um, it, they, you know, I just had me and my little webcam sitting in my bedroom trying to record some videos. And, um, you know, I, I might get like five views, 50 views if it was a big video, you know. And um, 
but I was practicing. I was learning. And that's what I didn't understand at the time is I really thought I was a much better teacher than I actually was. And I think there was some some grace from the Lord for me in that. Um, so, you know, things were things were pretty bad. I had a lot of dreams and aspirations. I had a lot of pride and jealousy and resentment. And meanwhile, you know, my kids were little. They were really little. And I was working very part-time, um, in apologetics, but it was very part-time. But, um, you know, I wasn't doing public appearances. I wasn't speaking. Uh, and it, it was it was hard times for me. And it was a lot of obscurity. So by this point, when 2012 rolls around, you know, I've been in this situation now for about 13 years. And the first kind of turning point where it started to to get a little bit more positive for me. So I'd been kind of on a downward trajectory for a while, um, was June of 2012. And I made it, I went to a leadership training thing and um, I made up my mind in that leadership training experience that I was going to start using the phrase, I am a theologian. I don't really know why that made a difference for me other than it got my head and my heart in the same place. I got a little bit more clear about my purpose. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop hiding from the people at my church. I'm going to be a little bit more brave to people around me. And I'm going to describe myself when people ask me what I do for a living, I'm going to stop kind of lying to them and saying, well, um, you know, I'm a stay-at-home mom, which was true, but I was also concealing a lot of who I was. And so I decided I was going to be brave and I was going to start being a little bit more open again about my background as a theologian. And so I just made up my mind, I was going to say the phrase, when people asked me what I, who I was or what I did for a living, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I, I'm also a theologian. I don't know who I was being a theologian to. I had like a hundred followers. I have YouTube videos with five views. Um, but something in that mental space was a, a bit of a turning point for me where things started getting a little more positive. Another really big thing, that though, that happened to me that really was a big positive was my friendship with Laura Hartley, who was actually on the stream stream today. Um, and her friendship with me really was a major turning point for me because I finally had a friend. And I'm sure she probably thought I was sort of low-key crazy with all of my theology talk. Um, but she was very patient with me. She had no interest in apologetics per se, but she was willing to walk with me in hearing my thoughts and all my insecurities and, you know, my journey also with with my mental health struggles and all of those things. And so making a friend where there could be camaraderie, that was another major turning point for me. And another major turning point where things started getting better was in November 2014. Um, I was actually healed from bipolar disorder. Wow, it's hard to believe that's already been like almost nine years. That's crazy. Um, 
And again, I'm not going to go into all of that. Um, I talked about that on the Rooted and Edified show. But that definitely improved my quality of life after that. In 2015 is really where teaching-wise things started turning around. And that was that I saw a need in our local church um, for help with the young people to learn apologetics. So I actually volunteered to teach an apologetics group for our high school students because my kid was in high school. And I went to the youth pastor. I pitched this idea, worked real hard to put it together. I had about seven kids that came. They're mostly kids of my friends. And it wasn't that many kids. <laughs> we had like 60 kids in the youth group. So it's a small slice of them. But man, I put everything I could into those teachings. I worked so hard on those teachings. And it was during that time, those kind of two years that I ran that group for the high school students, that's where I really started learning how to teach and taking bigger risks with my teaching and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Then in 2016, I was invited to take over teaching an adult Sunday school class at my church. Um, my husband and I were already attending the class and the teacher was moving out of state. And so he invited me to take over the class. And I did that for about two, two and a half years. And that, again, is where I really started practicing my teaching skills more. And I just put everything I had into those lessons. And that class was maybe around 20, 30 people. Not a lot of people, but bigger than the seven youth kids that I was teaching. And and I just kept practicing and practicing my teaching skills. And um, meanwhile, during all of this, I kept applying for jobs as a Bible teacher because I thought, well, if I can't be on a stadium tour, maybe I could be a high school Bible teacher. And that was my dream. I really want to be a high school Bible teacher. Man, I applied for so many teaching jobs. Nobody would hire me. No, I didn't even get interviews. I got one interview as a, at a middle school, but I didn't get a call back or anything. And then I started applying for to be a substitute Bible teacher. I thought maybe I could do that. I got no calls, no interest. And so it was just a lot of no's, 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 no's with a few yeses. But it, it was a tough season. And um, then in June of 2018, on June the 3rd, 2018, is when Monique and I, um, when Monique flew to the States and then she came to live with our family. And during that time, um, I just really didn't know what I was doing in ministry. I Basically, um, helping Monique became the ministry. And uh, then in February 2020, we started CFBU. And in just a couple of months, I went from a thousand followers to like 7,000 in a few months. And it was during the whole George Floyd thing and all of that. And I thought, man, this is so interesting because for years and years and years, I just labored in obscurity and nobody knew who I was. And then all of a sudden, people were watching our podcasts and we were getting speaking invitations and, um, we would go on the road and people were saying like, oh, I listened to such and such podcast. And all I could think of was like, man, I lived through almost 20 years of nobody knowing who I was and and the total obscurity of 
having just a few hundred followers. And and like I said, it took me 10 years to get to a thousand followers. Now I'm almost at 8,000. It's, it's just crazy to me. And um, when I think about where things are now, I guess this is kind of what I want to tie it into. And, and, you know, like, where is this all leading is that looking back now, I can see so many blessings of the Lord in that wilderness period. I mean, it was hard. I, I am not going to lie. There was, a, uh, I, I struggled. And, and like I said, I struggled with a sense of ministry, jealousy, resentment, um, bitterness at times. Um, it was, it was tough. And, and I pride really big issue. Um, but I think looking back, I think God forced me into obscurity because he knew I was very sinful and I needed a lot of sanctification. And he saw my heart of wanting to be a Bible teacher, but he's like, I can't give this to you when you're 27 or 35 or 41. I can't give it to you then because you're still so wrapped up in yourself that you would take this great gift and your your pride and and everything would just make it not good. <laughs> and so I think that God forced me into obscurity out of his grace because he knew that I was a sinner. And the only way to get to where I'm at now with still having a very small platform of 8,000 people. I mean, you know, when I look at somebody like Elisa Childers or Melissa Doherty or Alan Parr, they got 100,000 plus, you know, I am still, there's a tiny speck on the tiny corner of the internet, but, but the level of success that I have now is just so humbling. And I think the Lord knew that if I had had success at 27, 29, 35, even 44, I would have put my career in front of my children and my children would have lost out. Um, homeschooling helped to train my heart to be more inclined toward my children and caring for them and being present for them. I think God's gift to me was this 20-year wilderness period because it gave me an opportunity to practice my teaching skills, to learn better teaching skills, to a small audience. So it didn't matter if I was teaching to seven high school kids, I could mess up and make missteps and it wouldn't be catastrophic. I could have, you know, videos with five views, 50 views and have it not be catastrophic. I could make mistakes and the impact would be minimal. And um, it gave me a space to learn and to grow, to grow up in my maturity and to grow in the Lord. And so I don't know if I would have said all of this at 35, what I really wanted to be on the Women of Faith tour. Um, I was mad. I was big mad. I was resentful. I was bitterness. I was I was in bitterness. Um and it it was it was tough. But um yeah, I think it was a blessing. And looking at it 
to get me where I am today, where I can do Bible teaching on a small corner of the internet, God had to lead me through all of these things so that I could get to a place of killing my pride, where I could not find my self-worth and my identity in being a Bible teacher, that I first had to get on a journey to that my first identity was as a child of God. And that is where I got my self-worth. So that even if I never taught, even if I never wrote a book, even if I never had any level of success, I could be calm and content in who I was because I was trusting God to, to, to direct my steps and that my first identity was as a child of God. But boy, it, I'm plenty stubborn. It took me 20 years to get to that point. It was a long road and it kind of went like this, <laughs> okay? So um, yeah, and, and if I'm honest, um, the sin of ministry jealousy is still a struggle for me at moments. I still notice it in myself. When I look at a video, you know, that my friend Melissa Doherty does, and I see like, oh my gosh, it has 141,000 views or something. And and then I look at mine and, you know, I might have 500 on a on an average video. I'm like, how do I not compare? Okay. And, and, and social media is such an invitation to break the tenth commandment, you know, the commandment of not covenant. There, there needs to be a line there, you know, don't covet your neighbor's donkey or or his wife or or it don't covet his social media numbers, <laughs> his level of influence, right? That, this is these are the sins that I struggle with. And and if I'm honest, you know, that's still a struggle for me at times. I, you know, I grind it out at the Center for Biblical Unity 40 to 50 hours a week. And I struggle with discouragement on some days uh, about our social media reach and how the, the tech gods titrate us and and they 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 don't push out our our content and you know here we are really striving to to put out quality content and it discourages me and and I struggle with discouragement and jealousy sometimes still um, when Monique gets um, invited to speak and I feel passed over. It's not uncommon for people to invite only her and not both of us. And many times we're on calls and the other person who's inviting us to speak, and I, I do a lot of the intake calls at the ministry for speaking invitations, and the, we get on the phone, the person has no idea who I am, no clue. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, man, I've been doing this for 30 years and blah, blah, blah. And I just can go right into my pride and ride it back, slip right back into that place of, of feeling the the jealousy over obscurity. And it is just such an invitation to me and, and that I constantly have to kill my flesh and say no to. But when I flip it around and I see it through the lens of my sanctification, of my growth in the Lord, these are just opportunities for me to continue to learn how to trust the Lord more firmly. That I will trust the Lord to bring the people to our platform that he wants to find us. That I don't have to be stressed out about these low numbers. I am just going to trust the Lord to bring the right people whose hearts are ready for our message. It's an opportunity for me to change my perspective to from one of 
control and jealousy and anger to one of trusting in the Lord. It's an opportunity for my sanctification to keep my sin of ministry jealousy in check. I mean, this is the struggle is real and I am very human and and I know that many people struggle with similar problems at times. Sometimes you write to me and you're like, you know, my reach is so small or I I, I really wish I could get more people interested in apologetics, but I, I just can't get them interested. And, and I feel the struggle of that. And I feel the 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 frustration of feeling like I just feel so alone and that I'm the only one who cares about these things. And um I get it. And if you find yourself struggling with that kind of loneliness because you don't see a lot of people around you interested in these questions, I want to encourage you to turn to the Lord to help you understand why this is. Is it a situation where he's setting you apart? For a season of growth, if if that's the case, ask him what is it that he's wanting you to learn. Um, if you are trying to build your platform and you're feeling frustrated by your low reach, that's normal. That, that's normal. Uh, platforms that get built quickly are rare. Okay, and so when you see somebody, um you know, have a big platform, pray for them. Uh, Being able to do the type of full-time ministry that Monique and I are blessed to do is so rare. I wake up every day and I think about the people that I know that would, in apologetics, that would probably love to do what what I do full-time, but, you know, they have to labor in a job the way that I did for many, many years. I would work full-time and then I would come home and work on my channel as I was able or at night when my kids would go to bed and, and, you know, all of that. But I'll tell you another thing that really started turning my heart around was that in 2017, yeah, 2017, in May of 2017, I started noticing on Twitter the Apologics handle and for, for women in apologetics. And, um, I was my first instinct, and I, and I've told Rachel this, the president at Women in Apologetics, and I've apologized to her, but but my my first instinct was jealousy. Who are these people? I've been around longer than them. <laughs> Who are these people? A boy, the Lord convicted my heart that if I was ever going to make meaningful progress in the Christian life, I had to stop the sin of ministry jealousy. And so I started praying for them. I started praying for women in apologetics. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know their names. I didn't even know what they were about, but I just started praying for them. And I prayed for them for about six or seven months without even knowing who they were. I started praying for blessings over them, repenting of my sins. And I started praying and praying and praying for them. And then in November of 2017, the same year, just a few months later, um, Rachel Shockey walks into my booth at the Evangelical Theological Society meetings and it says right on her name tag, Women in Apologetics. And I was like, I've been praying for you. I've been asking the Lord to send somebody to me from Women in Apologetics and here you are. 
This was in Providence, Rhode Island, very far from where both of us live. And that was a turning moment that started um, to get me out of this hole. And Rachel Shockey was really the first person who like kind of believed in me. She went to my channel. She saw all my teachings. She saw like, you know, that I had an interesting point of view, got me on the board, helped me get some speaking gigs. And that started to be the, the grease that got the wheels going that got me out there a little bit more. And, um, but that all started because I started repenting and I started praying for them. And instead of having this jealousy, getting my heart into a better posture. And um, so, you know, if you are struggling with these feelings of frustration, I want to encourage you to just start praying over people and praying for their increase. And um, I just want to encourage you to to think about, rather than falling into the sin of jealousy, how are you going to pray for these people and pray through the Lord that they would have abundance? And man, I could give you a, a different perspective. Um, the other thing I want to encourage you to do, if you're really struggling with, you know, just wanting to be a resource to people around you, but you can't get them in the conversation, be patient. Um, my friend Laura, um, she wasn't interested in these conversations for many, many years of our friendship. And then something finally clicked for her where she was finally willing to have the conversation with me about these issues. And um, that was awesome. It just added another dimension to our to our friendship. But I think what you have to focus on is if you're if you're in the struggle, don't focus on trying to build a public platform in the beginning as much as focus on being a resource to the people that you love, the people that are already in your life. Like when we would go to family events, if if, if my brother and sister-in-law or my husband's cousins or different people that we would be around, like just encouraging them in the faith and being a resource for their kids if they had questions or, you know, my friend's kids if they had questions. And that was really why I started the little high school apologetics club was so that I could be a resource to my friend's kids. And... My husband has really taught me the value of starting small and to be faithful in the little things, to be a resource for the people around you and and to always do my best work, even if it's only five people who come. Do you know how many years I taught to five people? Like I would only maybe get a chance to speak in public one or two times a year. And when I did, it was consistently like five to 10 people. But you have to humble yourself and put everything into your talk, even if only five people come. And because it takes years to learn how to be a good presenter. Now, there's some people who just naturally, they just do it, you know. But for most of us humans, um, it takes years to learn how to be a good presenter. So be grateful for those five people. Put everything you have into those talks and developing them and doing your best work, um, even just for those five people, because Jesus says that when we're faithful in little things, he will make us a ruler over much. And I truly believe that the 
I hate using the word success that I have today because again, I'm just on one small corner of the internet, but the opportunity that I have to to teach on YouTube is just amazing and humbling. And it I think that it is because of all of the years of ministry obscurity where I was just practicing, falling down, trying again. Um, I learned how to do better. So that's my little story. All right, let me go back in time here and uh, see some of the comments. All right. It's a relief that I'm not the only one who goes through these sin issues. Oh, no. The sin is real. The struggle is real. Yes, it is very, very real. Um, Let's see. On to the comments here. All right, Laura says, Facebook question. What helps you fight your pride? What do you think about or do? That's such a great question. Um, For me, what it's had to come to is a conviction that I am where I need to be um, in the providence of God and that he's, I have to truly believe that. You know, if I'm looking out at what other people have and what I don't have, or that I should be in a better place, um, I what that's really saying is that I don't trust the Lord. And um, I'm in a way like thinking that something has slipped by the Lord and, and his providence and, and goodwill for my life. One of the things that helps me is I've come to see whatever happens in this life as a training ground um, for whatever rewards will be for me in the new creation. And so how I respond to things now is like the boot camp. It's to train me and, and to give me an opportunity to be trained in righteousness for the new creation. So my pride, my, when my pride comes in, what I'm really saying is that I know better than God, what I need for my training. And um, that I think that when I see ra- around me what other people have, that I deserve that. And man, that's just such a trap. So repentance... I start praying for those people. I start um I start just focusing on that person that I'm comparing myself to and begin to pray for them. That's kind of some of the strategies I've found helpful over the years. Would it be proper to apply the verse where Jesus says, don't look at your brother with ministry jealousy or dreams that aren't supposed to be. I don't know. I'd have to think about that and look at the verse in context. But I mean, definitely I could say what I kept coming to was the 10th commandment about coveting your neighbor's things. Because really coveting is an expression of your heart that you're just not content. And so contentment has and gratitude have to be a discipline as a way of fighting off the passions of ministry jealousy 
And so you you really have to be diligent about the gratitude. And I'm so grateful now because I see and, I, and I've I told my kids this, you know, that um, especially my my older daughter who came along first, like I'm so glad the Lord sent me her to me. I'm so glad she came because she was the interruption that I didn't know I needed. If I had just gone on with the dream of to go in and having a career in Christian higher ed, I, I probably would have had a pretty successful career and I probably wouldn't be a very good person. I probably wouldn't be married. Um, I, I just, I, I would have let my career, I think, get out of control. And, um, I think that it was God's grace to me. It was his mercy to me that he sent the one and only Emily uh, to provide the interruption that I didn't know I needed. And um, I love my kids. They have been the greatest teachers to me of, of contentment and gratitude. And I loved homeschooling, being with them and hanging out with them. I miss those days. And I'm so glad that God finally brought me what little level of quote unquote success. And again, I hate using that term in a ministry context, but when when they were adults, my kids were adults, you know, he waited graciously until I was in my fifties uh, to bring that about. So anyways, that's my little story. I hope you found this little romp through my 20 year wilderness period helpful and somehow encouraging. Um, I look forward to your feedback. And I just want to say thank you so much for for being a part of my story. And uh, I hope that you will share this with a friend that you think it might help or encourage. Thank you so much. Good afternoon and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening. Thank you.